You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. In your Bibles, Romans 13 is where we're going to start, and I want to draw your attention to verse number 11. The Bible says, and that knowing the time. Now, time is a uh, very interesting thing. If we were to say, what time is it right now? It is uh, 11.31, according to that clock. But if we were to say, uh, what time of day is it? We'd say, well, it's still the morning and uh, afternoon is coming and lunch is coming. If you're a Baptist and you already knew that, right? Lunch is coming. Uh, we'd say it's the uh, uh, first uh, part of the day. It's the morning hours. If we were to say what time of the year, we'd say we're about in the middle of the year. If we were to talk about uh, the dates, we'd say, well, we are now 20 years uh, into the, the 2000s. And so time is a very interesting thing. Uh, as a, a child, I remember a lot of times uh, asking my dad, I'd say, dad, what time is it? What time is it? And uh, my dad had a good answer for that. He'd say, well, son, it's time to get a watch, you know. And, uh, you know, we, I was always curious, what time is it? What time is it? But can I tell you, the Bible talks a lot about time. And the Bible talks about understanding the time. You see, in this passage, we're not just talking about the hour or the minute or the, the seconds uh, in the day. We're talking about a period of time. We're talking about a, a, a time of life, a time uh, that we must be aware of, we must know about. It says in that knowing the time that now it is high time, that word a high time, it means it's, it's come to fruition, it's complete, it's ready. It is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, at this time, is our salvation nearer than when we believed? The Bible talks about understanding the times. First Chronicles 12, the Bible says, And the children of Issachar, there were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Can I tell you, we need some men and women and some senior saints and some middle-aged adults and some young people in 2020 we need some people who have an understanding of the times to know what we're supposed to do. Now is not the time to stick your head in the sand. Now is not the time to say, oh, I don't want to know about anything. And just, you know, I'm going to go find a, I'm going to find a cabin somewhere. And I don't want to talk to anybody. And I don't want to see anybody. That's not why God left us here. He left us here so that we could go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, your mission field is your neighbor. Your mission field is your workplace. Your mission field is the people that you come in contact with. God has placed us here for a reason and for a purpose, and we must understand what we ought to do. Daniel chapter 2. The Bible says, as Daniel describes the greatness and the power of God, he said, God changes the times and the seasons. Now, that's interesting because that indicates that God is in control of time. Did you know God is not limited by time? 
God's not controlled by time. God's not in a time crunch. God is not sitting on the throne in heaven thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? There's not much time left. I got to hurry up and get things done. God is not worried about time. As a matter of fact, he's the one who's in control of time. God changes the times and the seasons. It's interesting that in Daniel chapter 7, there is a description of the Antichrist and what the Antichrist will try to do when he comes to power. And it says in Daniel chapter 7 that he will seek to change times and laws. Now, it doesn't say he's going to be able to do it. He's going to try to do it. There's been speculation over the years and been speculation among uh, those who study Bible prophecy. I don't know exactly what the Antichrist is going to try to do, but it would make sense to me that the Antichrist would try to change our calendar system. You say, why would the Antichrist care about the calendar system? Well, let me ask you this. This is the year 2020. 2020. Well, that's funny because there have been more than 2,000 years in history. So what is our reference point for determining that this is the year 2020? Well, 2020 A.D., that term A.D. means, or the, the, the wording is Anno Domini, which literally means in the year of our Lord. Did you know every time you look at the calendar to see what year it is, it just tells you how many years since Jesus was here? Did you know that before the A.D. time and, and categorization of time, there was B.C. You know what B.C. stands for? Before Christ. Isn't that wonderful? You can't, you can't come up with a date in history without being reminded of the fact that Jesus came. It may be before Christ or it may be A.D. Uh, for, since the time of Christ. But can I tell you, everything points back to Jesus and everything points to Jesus Christ and he is the focal point of our calendar hallelujah for that and that old antichrist he'll try to change some things and he will be powerful he will have great might because he will be powered by Satan himself oh but I'm glad to tell you this morning friend that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world and we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. You see, we know that God is in control of time. Acts chapter 1, as Jesus was ascending back into heaven, the disciples said, oh Lord, when will you establish your kingdom? They wanted to know when it was going to be. And Jesus said to his disciples, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. He said, you don't need to know when I'm coming back. Here's what you need to do. The very next verse, Acts 1.8. He said, you just need to be witnesses unto me. You just need to tell everybody that I'm coming back. You just need to tell everybody that there is good news, that there is life in Christ, that there is eternal life in Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter 5, would you turn there with me? 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 1, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, 
And he says, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Now, why would he say that? Well, because in the previous chapter, the apostle Paul told that church, he said, I want to tell you about something that's coming. There's coming a day when there is going to be a trumpet that is going to sound. And there's going to be a shout that is going to be heard. And there's going to be the voice of the archangel. And Jesus Christ is coming back to take his people home. And can I tell you what a day that will be? I remember growing up as a boy in Rockford, Illinois, and I remember my pastor, Pastor Melvin Swanson, he preached, I remember so many times he preached and he'd say, Jesus is coming again, and Jesus is coming back, and the trumpet could sound. And could I tell you, I believed it then, but I believe it even more now. Because Jesus Christ is coming, and his coming is so close, it could be today. It could be this afternoon, it could be this evening, it could be tomorrow. Can I tell you, Jesus is coming back. Nobody knows the day, nobody knows the hour, but he's coming. And it could be at any moment. Paul told the church at Thessalonica, he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons of when I'm coming back, when Jesus is coming back. But here's what he did say, verse five. But ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. And we are not of the night, but nor are we are of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Hallelujah but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, I got news for you. It was not God's plan for anybody to go to hell. That was not God's intention. As a matter of fact, because that was not his intention, God sent his only begotten son Jesus to die on a cross so that you could be spared and I could be spared from wrath and judgment and we could be spared from that awful place called hell and we could have a home in heaven. And I'm so glad to tell you that Jesus is coming back and for the child of God, that is great news. That is wonderful news to know that we're not going to experience the wrath of God poured out on this world. We're not going to experience the wrath of God for eternity in a place called hell because Jesus Christ died and took your place so that if you would call upon him, you can be saved. Hallelujah for that. Verse number 10, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, the Bible says a wise man heart, a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. As Christians, we ought to be discerning of the time. We ought to be aware of the time. Matthew 16 and Luke 12, Jesus said, ye discern the face of the sky and earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? It's amazing how people can predict all kinds of things and they'll try to predict the stock market and they'll try to uh, uh, predict the real estate and they'll predict the weather and they'll predict this and that and all that. But can I tell you, you don't have to make a prediction. You can know with certainty that Jesus is coming back and he's coming soon. 
So how do we know that? Well, we've got the book of Revelation that tells us that he's coming back. I want to speak for a few moments, a long introduction, but a short message. I want to speak for a few moments this morning on knowing the time. What time is it? Number one, I'll say from Romans 13, it is time to be alert. It is not time to stick your head in the sand. It is not time to be oblivious. It is not time to be unaware, but it is time to be alert. I mentioned already our graduates, but you know, for our graduates, they're at a very pivotal, pivotal time in their lives. Uh, you're, you're coming out of a high school uh, curriculum or a high school structure. You're coming out of a, a college structure. and You've got so many choices to make. And you've got so many options to pursue. But can I tell you this? You want to be alert uh, for what God wants for your life. I think the first question always ought to be, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? God, what is your plan? What is your will for my life? Romans chapter 13 and verse number 11, it says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. We must be alert. Number two, we must be awake. Would you notice in Romans uh, chapter 13, let me get back there. Romans chapter 13, it says that it is time to awake out of sleep. Now, I'm not talking about physical sleep right now. I'm talking about spiritual sleep. Did you know there are some Christians that are sleeping? There are some Christians who have gone to sleep and they have tuned out the Bible They've tuned out God. They've, they've tuned out church. They've tuned out ministry. They've tuned out souls. Can I tell you, it is not time to go to sleep. It's time to wake up. We need to be awake and in and, 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 and spiritual things. And can I tell you, we ought to be awake when it comes to our marriages. Now is not the time to say, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Or we'll, one of these days we'll deal with it. Oh, no. Now is the time to be awake in your marriage and be awake and be alert as to what is going on. Make sure that your marriage, make sure you're close. Make sure you communicate. Make sure that you're on the same page. Make sure you pray together. Make sure you're going the same direction and make sure that you're, you're seeking the same things. It's not time to stick your head in the sand with your children. Can I tell you, it's easier to ignore the problem. But problems don't get better when you ignore them. Problems need to be dealt with. Issues need to be dealt with. With your children, you ought to know who their friends are. You ought to know who they're hanging out with. You ought to know where they're going and what they're doing. You say, yeah, but you know, but I don't want to be the strict parent. Well, can I tell you, I think, I think my parents might have won that award. My parents were strict, but can I tell you, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for parents that cared enough to have rules. I'm thankful for parents that cared enough to say, you're not going there, you're not doing this. I'm thankful for parents that didn't stick their head in the sand. You say, well, we're good on that, Pastor. We got 343 rules for our home. Well, congratulations. But can I tell you what you need more than rules? You need a relationship with your children. Rules without a relationship always leads to rebellion. You got to know their heart. And now is not the time to say, you're going to do this and you're going to do this. Now is the time to have rules, but to say, I love you and I want to help you. 
And now is the time to listen. And now is the time to do the very best you can to lay a foundation for your children. Uh, can I tell you, it's not time to go to sleep. Our families are being destroyed and our marriages are being destroyed and our, our nation is being destroyed and God's people are sleeping through it. It's time to wake up. It's time to get the alarm clock on. It's time to uh, stop pushing that snooze button. It's time to realize that it's time to wake up. My wife's brother lives in the state of Arkansas, and uh, he has uh, been a referee uh, for uh, high school and college basketball for many years. And uh, some years ago, he was offered an opportunity to go and to uh, be a part of a, a program that they take the uh, NBA referees from that program. And uh, he had that opportunity. He didn't take the opportunity because of the uh, commitment that that is. And those referees during the basketball season, they basically don't go home. They go from city to city and place to place. And it's, it's a very, uh, very difficult situation, especially for family and all that. But he's had the opportunity to referee some NBA uh, type uh, summer leagues and, and places where NBA players and college players will come and they will play uh, during the summertime just to kind of stay in shape and to, to do all those things. I asked him one time, I said, who is the best player that you've ever seen play? And by the way, they're NBA players and college players and all that. And he told me, and I think he told me the name, I don't remember the name, but he told me about a guy. He said, you know, he said, this guy was by far the best I saw in that league with all of these NBA players, and college players. And, um, but I said, well, why didn't he go to the NBA? And uh, my brother-in-law said, well, that's a funny story, actually. He said he was offered an opportunity to play for an NBA team. And they had it all lined up. He was going to go and meet with the team. And we're not talking about somebody that's going to, you know, sit on the bench or somebody that was going to be a, a role player. We're talking about the best of the best. Somebody who had potential. Somebody who could have signed a, a multi-million dollar contract. Do you think maybe these NBA players and these professional athletes, do you think maybe they're a little overpaid? Yeah, I think so. But anyway, he had that opportunity. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, he was supposed to fly to meet uh, this uh, team and the coaches and the staff and all that, and he overslept and missed his flight. And I'm thinking, there's no way in the world. He said, oh, yeah. He said, uh, but he said they rescheduled it. They got him another time and another flight and all that, and he overslept again and missed his flight and missed his opportunity. And guess what? That team never called him back. And the other teams weren't very interested either. If you can't get somebody to wake up and go to an interview and go to a meeting, what do you think it's going to be like during the season? What do you think it's going to be like for practices? And what do you think it's going to be like for team meetings? They said, fine, we're not interested. And can I tell you, it's so sad to think that somebody missed out on so much. But I see Christians many times who are missing out on blessings and missing out on victories and missing out on answers to prayer and missing out on opportunities to serve God because we're asleep. Paul wrote to the Romans there, uh, the Christians in Rome, and he said, listen, he said, it's time to be alert. It's time to be awake. It's time to get up. It's time to get busy because your salvation is nearer. It is closer 
than when you first believed. Number one, be alert. Number two, be awake. Number three, we must be armored. Would you notice what it says in verse number 12? Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You say, Pastor, why would anybody need to put on armor? Because they're going into battle. And you say, well, I'm not in a battle. I got saved and I just want to enjoy life. I just want to take the easy road. I just, I don't want to have any trouble. Well, I got news for you. You're in a battle, whether you realize it or not, because every single day you have an enemy, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, and he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. You must put on the armor. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God. It's time to be armored. It's time to get dressed for the day. It's time to get prepared. It says we need to cast off the works of darkness. You can't go into a spiritual battle living in the flesh. You can't fight a spiritual battle against the, the world, the flesh, and the devil when you're living. And when we're living and acting like the world, I'll use this example. Uh, Brother uh, George and I, we were talking before church and we we're talking about uh, the, the, the temperature outside and how we're in the building and it's air conditioned and what a blessing. And I said, praise God for air conditioning. And Brother George one up me, he said, praise God for deodorant. And I said, uh, well, what's that? I've never heard of that, you know. But can I tell you something? When you get up in the morning and you wake up, there's some things you got to do to get ready for the day. Uh, a bath or a shower is a good thing. Um, a toothpaste and a toothbrush, that's a good thing. And uh, deodorant and, and, and some of us. Some of us, we spend the majority of our, our time on our hair because it's such a, a masterpiece and a work of art. I heard some laughing over there. Thank you so much. My feelings are hurt. I thought I did a good job. I thought both of those hairs were just right in the, the right place. But you got to get ready for the day. But one of the things when you get ready for the day is you don't put on the old dirty clothes from the day before. You come home from work at night and you, you, you got your, your work clothes and you're sweaty and you're dirty and you're greasy and you're a mess. And so you take a shower and then you put the dirty clothes back on. No, you don't do that. You put on the clean. You put on what's appropriate. You put on what's new, what you need for that day or for that occasion. And as Christians, we must take off the world and take off the flesh and confess the sin and put on the armor of light so that we can know the time and be ready for the battle. It's time to fight. It's time to win. It's time to do something for the Lord. Number four, it's time to be active. Notice what it says in verse 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day. It's time to walk. It's time to make progress. It's time to go somewhere. It's time to do something. We don't need Christians that'll be lazy. We don't need servants of God that are looking to do the minimum. We need people of God that will say, I want to walk with God as much as I can. I want to serve God as much as I can. I want to be as close to God as I can. How are we supposed to walk? It says we're to walk honestly. That word honestly means properly. Not, it says, in rioting and drunkenness. Now, we've heard a lot about rioting lately, and that's not what this 
term means, although the rioting that's been going on lately is uh, uh, as wicked as the devil also. But this rioting, it means revelry. It means loose living. It means living without rules and living without laws and living your own way and doing your own thing. That's not how a Christian is supposed to live. Not in rioting, not in drunkenness. Where drunkenness simply means intoxication. Uh, Christians aren't to be drinking and Christians aren't supposed to be living in drunkenness and, and, and worldliness. That's not how Christians are supposed to be. Then it says not in chambering. The word chambering means to be licentious or to literally to be immoral in behavior. And I tell you, the world is, is it's immoral. Uh, the flesh is immoral, but that's not the way God's people ought to be. God's people ought to be pure and holy and godly and Christ-like. Not in wantonness. That word wantonness, it's a lewdness. Literally an unbridled lust. Uh, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and don't you dare try to tell me differently. Well, I'll tell you something. God's given us a law. He's given us His Word. He's showed us how we're supposed to live. And we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And you say, well, pastor, uh, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven so I can live however I want. Well, I got news for you. If you've been saved and you've got Christ living in you, there ought to be a desire to do what's right. There ought to be a desire to live for God and there ought to be a desire to please God. And oh yeah, you can go to heaven and yes, you can be saved and you may not live according to everything that God's word says, but there ought to be a desire. And if you're not living right, there ought to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit working on your heart. I remember growing up and I remember with my mom and dad and they had those rules. And I, I, there weren't 343, but you know, you get the idea. But they had those rules. But can I tell you, there was also a relationship. And whenever I did something that I should not have done, I'll be honest with you, I didn't enjoy it because I knew I hurt my mom. And I knew I hurt my dad. And for a Christian, for a child of God that's living in sin, you ought not be able to enjoy it because the Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying that's not the way a Christian ought to live. Yes, you have, you have liberty in Christ. And yes, you get to choose. But can I tell you, there ought to be a desire to choose what's right and to choose what pleases God. We must not be living with uh, 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 wantonness and chambering and drunkenness and rioting, not in strife, the Bible says. Now, we've listed these four sins that are, I would consider to be pretty obvious sins you should not be doing. But then Paul says, Christians, when you wake up and you get serious about serving God, you ought not be living a life of strife. You say, well, what's strife, Pastor. Strife is contention. It's arguing. You always have to debate everything. Can I tell you, that's not the way a church ought to be. That's not way a, the way a home ought to be. That's not the way a ministry ought to be. You say, well, I sing in the choir, but let me tell you, this choir member's got this problem and this, no, 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 no. Uh, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren 
to dwell together in unity. There ought not be constant arguing and strife and bittering and uh, bittering, being bitter and backbiting and murmuring. That ought not to be. That's not the way a Christian ought to live. And then it says, not in envying. Envying is being jealous of one another. You know, if we're not careful, we'll look around and say, well, so-and-so's got this, and so-and-so went there, and so-and-so did this, and so-and-so, uh, they had this happen to them. And, and, and if we're not careful, we're comparing ourselves with everybody else. And I tell you, that's not going to be the way you want to live. If you want to live, and I want to live content with what God has done for us and uh, don't be miserable because you're comparing yourself. You're always going to find somebody that's got it better than you. But I'll say this, if you look closely, you'll always find somebody who does not have it as good as you either. Be thankful for what God's done. And lastly, be aligned. Be aligned. And what I mean by that is verse 14, it says, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. It's time to get serious. It's time for us to put on Jesus and let people see Jesus rather than us. It's time to let Jesus have control of our lives. The Bible says, make no provision for the flesh. You can't allow room for the flesh to get in. We must crucify the flesh and walk in the spirit. I'll close with this illustration. I was talking to a man this week and uh You'll be amazed when you hear who the pastor was. But this man was telling me his story about how he got saved. There was another, a co-worker who'd been inviting him to church for so long and that the church was having a friend day. And, the, and the, the man said, he said, finally, I told my friend, if you'll stop inviting me, I'll come and I'll come for one Sunday. And he came for that one Sunday and he got saved. There was an evangelist that was preaching at that church near Atlanta, Georgia. The pastor of that church was a man by the name of Charles Wright. Many of you have heard that name before. Charles Wright grew up in Roanoke Rapids, worked at the mill. He got saved, got called to preach over at First Baptist Church on the Avenue. He went to Tennessee Temple University where Dr. Lee Robertson was the pastor of Highland Park Baptist Church and the uh, chancellor of the uh, college, Tennessee Temple University. And after that, he went to pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, in that area. And Charles Wright was the pastor of this man who I was talking to this week. He said, I went and heard an evangelist and got saved. This man was telling me this week, he said, Charles Wright, he said, was an amazing man. He said, there was one Sunday, he said, where revival broke out in that church. He said, and that Sunday night, he said, it wasn't a special service, wasn't a special speaker, wasn't a special meeting. But he said, on that one Sunday night, he said, I think there were 30 or 40 people that walked the aisle and got saved in that church, from that church. He said, it was such an amazing service. He said, people started going out to their cars and they started bringing back from their cars their music. And I don't know if at the time, I guess it would have probably been cassettes. They were bringing their cassettes of the wicked music they had in their cars, ungodly music. And they were throwing it down the front saying, I don't want this anymore. I want to get right with God. He said people were, 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 were spotting other people in the service and saying, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, I've said some things about you I shouldn't have said. Will you forgive me? I want to get it right. And what happened was people got right with God and they gave up some things and they got rid of some things. You say, why would you do that? 
so that you don't make provision or allowance for that to come right back. You see, if there's, if there's a, a, a snake, a poisonous, a venomous snake that gets loose in your house, you say, well, I'm going to have to get that snake out and I'm just going to, I'm going to set it on the front porch. You know, you're probably not going to set it out on the front porch. You're probably going to not make provision for it to get back in. You're probably going to want to say, this snake is not getting back in this house because I'm going to solve the problem here and now. I'm going to destroy this thing. But can I tell you, when we as Christians, when we wake up and when we get serious, we put on Jesus. And when we put on Jesus, I know you've already got him inside of you if you're saved. He's living inside of you. But we say, I want people to see Jesus. I don't want people to see me. I want them to see the Lord. And when you put on Jesus, you crucify the flesh. You crucify the old nature. You confess the sin. You forsake it. You get rid of it so that you can live victorious and please God with your life. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.